Let me get set up here. We're back in Colossians. We're in Colossians, so get your Bibles out or your device, whatever it is that you're using. There's Bibles in the pews in front of you, page 988, like uh, Pastor Ernest said there when he did the reading. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 6, is where we'll be today. And so Colossians, a reminder again, kind of where what this book is about. It's a letter written by Paul to this church in Colossae. And he, he wrote it because the church had got, gotten off track, you know. And these, these other worldly pressures had come into the church. And they kind of pushed, they hadn't rejected their Christianity. They just kind of, Jesus had become lesser. Their faith had kind of grown cold. That fire wasn't there. It was lukewarm. You know, they'd put other things above Jesus, and he'd been pushed to the side. And so, so Paul wrote this letter. The, the, the guy who planted the church, Epaphras, goes to Paul and tells him, and Paul writes this letter. And, and so we've been saying all along, kind of what Paul's point in the letter is to, to what? It's great. <laughs> Establish and exalt Jesus. That was his goal. That was Paul's point. All right? Yes. Establish and exalt Jesus. That's kind of, that's, that's just my way of summarizing the point of the letter, okay? And so we've got week number four here, and he really starts out with just who is Jesus, just that reminder, and, and we're going to get right into it, and actually I've got to be able to control the slides here. Um, and, and so we're going to get right into it, because I think that first, um, that first verse will, will really talk about it. Those are our big ideas. Ooh, look at that. Oh, I think you're in the back. You're going to have to fix it. I broke something. My pardon. <laughs> I'm sorry there. So we've been looking at, and, and Paul's really established, he's really been laying the foundation for who Jesus is, reminding us of the gospel, right? The things that we know. And so when we start here at verse 6, you're going to see that he starts off with, so then. So then, or it could be translated, your translation might have therefore. And so a little Bible study tip for you and your own Bible studies. Um, whenever you see the word therefore, ask the question, what's the therefore, therefore? Okay? And because it always points to something. He's summarizing something that came before. He's pointing to, this is kind of, he's gonna, and Paul does this a ton in his letters. So he's going to then go forward and he's going to explain. He's going to give the, the okay then. This is now what we do about it. And the so then, the therefore in this case, he summarizes it in that, next, in that same sentence. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. So he goes right back after all that he said. Remember all we've talked about with Jesus. He's the, he's the image of the invisible God. All the fullness of deity dwells in him. All those things, the creator, and it's all for him. Right? All the things we've talked about in the last number of weeks. He sums it up here, therefore, and then he brings us back to that point when we had that, reminding us of when we realized who Jesus was. Right? Just as you received Christ, Jesus is Lord. Do you remember that moment for you? I hope so. If you're a Christian, right? That's a significant moment, right? You recognize him as Christ. Christ, that word Christ is the same as Messiah. Christ is the Greek form of Messiah is kind of the, the Hebrew, okay? It just means the anointed one of God. And by this point, the Israelites had just been groaning. They wanted Jesus, the, the Messiah, to come, not knowing it was Jesus yet, but they, they were waiting for this Messiah to come and deliver them and save them. 
right? And, and they thought it was going to be some earthly king that was going to come like David in the line of David and kind of establish Israel again as a, as a nation free from any other oppression. But God had such greater plans, right? And he sends his own son and delivers us from the, the oppression of sin, saves us from the slavery to sin for all people, right? To re, re, reconcile relationship with God. And so there's the Christ, received as Christ, and Jesus is Lord. And then the Lord is, it just means master, right? So that moment when you, you realize you've been trying to, you realized your sin, and Jesus is your Savior, that moment, but then you also made him Lord. You turned your life from trying to be your own God, from trying to do it your way. So you've tried all that, and it didn't work, and it never satisfied. And you turn, that's what salvation is, right? And that's the starting point. And it's all based on who Jesus is and what he did for us, right? And so just as you receive Christ, so the, here we are, he's saying, okay, all of that, reminder, you've gotten off track, reminder, go back to, to that salvation moment, right? Do you remember what brought you to that point? What was it that brought you to that realization, I need a savior? I'm not going to try and do life my way. I'm going to submit my life entirely to him to be my master. Remember that? You remember the commitment you made in that moment when you made him Lord? And you said, I'm not going to live life my way. I'm going to do it your way. Right? That was your starting point. So that you can then continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Right? That was your starting point for your, your journey. Each one of you have that starting point if you're a Christian. That was your starting point to now, but you got the rest of your life to live, right? So now you're going to continue to live your lives in him, rooted in him. That's the, rooted just is once and for all. That, that's the meaning behind that word, it, once and for all. That's your starting point. That's that point, you're a, the old life is dead. You're a new creation, right? And so there's your starting point, and then there's the built up. That's the ongoing. We got the rest of this life to live. That's the growing, the maturing. The christian word is sanctification, right? You're, we've got this life to live. And so we're on that journey. And so Paul here is saying, the Bible is saying to us, so then, just as you receive Christ, you remember that moment when you made that decision, when you, that your old life is gone, your new life started, and now you're on this journey. You're trying to, to live your lives in him. Right? And I, and I guess I'd ask my question for us before we get into this morning is, was that moment real for you? How do you know? Because there was a heart change. There was a heart change. Yes, how else? How do we know? Hey, that's, I'm, I'm asking. How do, sorry? We think differently. Yeah, I think of that Romans 12 too. You know, you are, we're transformed by the renewing of our minds, right? Yeah. Joy and peace of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, the Bible says, right? Right? We are born again. Yes. Amen. Amen. And we're going to see that come up in our, in our, as we go on here. But, but was it real? And then if it was real, then do you have that desire to live your life in him? Do you really? Is that, is that your heart's desire? Right? And we're talking about this is our reality of life. This is the, tomorrow morning. We're, we're, this, is, this is tomorrow morning. 
This is, we're going to go step out here. We're going to say, because of this moment, what Jesus did, we now have to live that way. If, we are, if that's our goal, right? And so this has to be the foundation. Before we go any further, nothing else that I talk about today is going to matter if this isn't, if that wasn't real, and if you don't actually want to live out your life in him. Because that's the, that's the so then is there for that reason. That's the foundation. And now Paul is going to go into so then, and he's going to, to basically, for this letter specifically, the context for where he wrote it, he's going to address this issue the church is having. They've been caught, taken captive by these deceptive and hollow philosophies. That's what had happened to them. It had knocked them off that track. They had the right heart. They wanted to live a life that pleased him, right? But these things had come in and had taken them captive and pulled them off the road. Right? And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to look at, the, he's going to identify kind of two big ways that we are taken captive. That we're, we have the right heart, we, we're sure of that start, and we have the right desire. We want to go in this life, we want to go down this road. But there's these things, these deceptive philosophies that can come in. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. See to it that no one takes you captive. That picture there, that word, like kidnapped, enslaved, right? Um, I've been reading The Pilgrim's Progress to my kids in the evenings, and uh, the children's version, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those ones like the Chronicles of Narnia. There's so much there for adults too you can get out of it but reading this pilgrim's progress and that's the picture there if you've ever if you know of that story um that book um that's the picture the christian is on his road to the king to the celestial city and the road is always straight no matter what he comes up he's always straight he's going down this road he's heading for the king right he's this pilgrim on his way to the king to the celestial city and in the children's book there's 90 something chapters and every chapter is basically him coming up against something, trying to get him off that road. Sometimes it's attacks from the devil, from the enemy. Sometimes it's temptations that are pulling him away. Sometimes it's just difficulty. And that's the picture here. That we're on this. We have a heart's desire. We want to live a life that pleases Christ, right? And yet there's all these things. And so see to it that no one takes you captive. No one gets you off that road. And, and then Paul's going to lay out, we're going to look at this morning, kind of two ways. This first one is these hollow and deceptive philosophies. These things, these pressures from the outside that are coming in, trying to pull us away. And then the second one we'll see today is actually religion itself. And religious things, false religion I'll say, that are trying to kind of pull us away from, our, from a true relationship with Christ. So let's look at those. Philosophy, what do you think of when you, when you read the word philosophy? The study of God? Thought. Study of thought. Yeah, you kind of, Lazarus knows the definition. Yes, love of wisdom. Yes, study of thought. Yeah, you kind of get that idea. But let's go more kind of contemporary. What would, if you ask people on the street, what does philosophy mean? You know, what's the feeling? What do you kind of get? Humanism. Yeah, that's a great word. That's a great way to and I even struggle to even try and, that's why I'm asking, try and, to me, it, it kind of the idea of philosophy today, it's, it's always kind of like a little bit mystical, it's kind of like, it's not, doesn't seem solid, it's kind of like jello, you know, it doesn't seem to, it like, it sounds really deep, 
from the surface, but then when you kind of get into it, you know, like, what's the meaning of life type questions, you know, that always seems to be what I'd say the world usually thinks of when it thinks of philosophy, and I thought maybe a word that kind of parallel to it is worldview, right? Because these philosophies often come up. It, it, the crazy thing is that it, it determines how we live our life often. These philosophies, you think of like a philosophy of life, it's how you go about things. Uh, when I was, for licensing as a pastor, I had to do a philosophy of ministry. And basically it was how do I approach ministry? How do I go about it, right? And so philosophy, kind of that idea. And so he's pointing out here, though, that there are hollow and deceptive philosophies. There are things that these, how do we recognize them? Well, you see them there. Hollow and deceptive philosophies. You can see them because they're based on human tradition, right? So if you want to recognize these, these philosophies that are going to can pull you off track because they're deceptive, right? They're not obvious. They look good on the outside. How do we spot them? They're, they're based on human tradition. In other words, they're man-centered. Deceptive philosophies are always man-centered. It always comes back to making what's, what's good for you, exalts man, right? They're man-centered. And secondly, they're based on the basic principles of this world. They're worldly. They're, they, they're, it's a devoid of faith, right? Things that require faith, it's, it's the opposite of that. It's all the things that we can verify by touching, and feeling, and experiencing it, right? It's these philosophies that the world comes up with that are, you know, it's because all, if they're just living in without God, then you're left with what you can see and touch and feel and experience and what you think and feel and rationalize in your own mind. So there's kind of his parameters of what, what these hollow, how we can recognize these hollow and deceptive philosophies. And so I want us to think. Let's brainstorm a little bit. What, what are those today? I mean, we don't, we didn't, the Gnosticism isn't really too much of a temptation for us. <laughs> it was, this is what Paul's addressing here, but this is God's word inspired by the Holy Spirit for all time. It's speaking to us today. What are the hollow philosophies, hollow and deceptive philosophies we hear today? I think of just the Canadian dream, American dream, right? That, that idea of, go, we live in such a blessed society, you know, and advertising bombards us all day, every day. This is what's going to ha- be happy. This is what you need next. This is what you have to have if you want to feel safe and secure and happy and all these things, right? Everyone has their different trying to play on our human nature, sinful nature, right? This is what you have to have to be happy, right? It's a philosophy. But anybody who's tried it knows it's hollow, right? Money's not going to buy you happiness. Just look at the celebrity world, right? Um, Right? Those things that exalt men. You do you. you know? Look out for number one because no one else will. Right? What did Jesus say? Right? Look for others. Put others above yourself. Right? You do you. It's all about your life. No, it's not. That life is dead. Right? The Bible said that, that life's been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ who lives in me. Right? That's the truth. But there's these hollow and deceptive philosophies that come in. They're man-centered. They're, they, they're devoid of, of God and his wisdom. And, and then they're, they're based on the principles of this world. They're, they're, there's, they don't have a foundation. You know, these, when they're hollow, it's a hollow philosophy because it's kind of like trying to nail jello to the wall. And 
They sound really deep or wise on the outside, but without a foundation of truth. You know, there's, they're, they're kind of left with nothing. And so you think about some of the things we, we hear today. I, what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. You know, this, that idea. And, you know, there's no absolute truth, right? But what if my truth says your truth is a lie? Is it still true? You know, it just, it makes, as soon as you start to try and, it sounds good maybe on the surface, sounds smart. It appeals to our like, hey, I get to have my own truth. It's tempting, but it's hollow. Without a foundation of truth who we know is God, truth of his word, it just falls apart. It's hollow. Love is love. That statement means nothing if you can't define love, right? God is love, right? That's the foundation. Until you know what love is, God demonstrates his love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, he gave the perfect example of what love is. Unless you can define love, that, that, it's meaningless, that philosophy, right? We need the foundation of truth. Don't be deceived by hollow Hollow philosophies, they sound good, they tug at our heartstrings, but without a foundation of truth to build on. Okay? Identity, humanity, our world is struggling with that, but it can't define what a human is. Okay? Yeah. And, and until you, and it's, we chuckle in, it, in, it, in something, but it's tragic, you know? And until you believe the foundation that God created them in his image, Male and female, he created them. Everybody has the same worth, you know, and value under God. He created you special with a purpose. That's the foundation of truth for humanity. Out of that, you know, that's the reason that you can fight against racism and intolerance and all those things because you have a foundation to build it on, that foundation of value and worth before God, right? Don't be deceived by the hollow philosophies of the world. And so we be on guard. And I was talking to Pastor Ernest, and as I was thinking, we were talking through, we were doing this brainstorming session of what are the ones today that are pulling you away, pulling you off that straight and narrow. And, and he was reading a book, and, and he said, and one of the things that author talked, he said, is that the devil wants to isolate you and then lie. But that isolation, and I think COVID did something, COVID exposed something in our culture that I think is probably one of the biggest deceptive philosophies right now we need to be aware of, church. And that's that we have become so autonomous, so individualistic. We, we want to make our own decisions. I don't need anybody else. I can find the facts for myself. I'm going to decide which, discern it for myself. I'm going to make my decision, and no one else is going to tell me what to do, right? And that's kind of the, that's the society we live in, right? And, and it's, but it's a deception. That's not the way that Christ designed it, right? He designed us to be in community, to be in relationship, that we encourage and we shape and he, we hear God's truth he, we, from one another when we're in community with one another. Yeah. And so now, that's the... That's the, those are the philosophies. That's how we can recognize it. It's man-centered. It's based on just the things that we can, what we think and we can see and feel and touch. And now the passage is going to go right into, so what do we do about it? What then, how then should we? 
be living. Verse 9, For in Christ all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form, and you've been given fullness in Christ, who's the head over every power and authority. And it's that simple. We live our lives in him. And as we go through the next section here, we're going to kind of fly through these next verses, and you're just, but just to sum it up is, that, is this. You don't need any other philosophies. You don't need anything else. Everything we need to live the rest of our lives, we have in Christ. All of it. He's done it all. He's given us all, all the fullness, given fullness in Christ. Everything's been given that we need. We don't need these other things. Don't let yourself be pulled off the, the, the track thinking you need more. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of your sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Circumcision. Circumcision was an identity thing for the Israelites. It was what made them special. It was all about their identity. It's what set them apart. Right? That's, that's the whole idea behind it. And, and, and Paul's here going like, don't find your identity in other things. Don't try and find it in the world, in man-made things. In, in Israel, we're saying they were worshiping God, but they had gotten so close-minded, you know, and, the, and the, the, the human things and the traditions had become basically their worship, and they'd forgotten about God, right? You think of the Pharisees, right? Their religion had gotten them, they worshiped the religion instead of the God the religion was there for, Right? And, and that's the idea here, is that we, you're finding your identity in something other than Christ. We don't need to. Our identity is in him. We don't need to search and find. We look at a world, we live in a world, that is trying, people trying to uh, find their identity. And it will only be found in Christ. And then, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism is just that picture of that, that life we talked about, right? That, that moment, the old life is dead, that we're living a new life, we've been born again, we're a new creation. And baptism is a public picture of that. It's proclaiming it. It's, it's again, we, we're so individualistic. When it comes to baptism, just a little tangent here, come to baptism, you know, like, in North America, we're weird. Like, the way we do baptism, it's weird. Like, for all of church history, you got saved. When you said you were saved, you walked down to the river. You know? That's just how it was. Look in the New Testament. Read the book of Acts. Right? Ethiopian eunuch is like, what's the, oh, that's the gospel? I believe that. What's stopping me from being baptized? Nothing. Let's go to the river. Right? Peter goes to the centurion, whole, shares the gospel. They believe. All right, let's dunk you in the garden pool. Right? I, I grew up in Africa. One of the most beautiful pictures of baptism was, was there where we, it was a brand new church plant, uh, people who had never heard. And one day, an old man stood up in the church and he, and he said, gave his testimony basically, and he said, I've been listening to what you've been saying. You've been sharing the gospel and preaching each Sunday. I've been coming every week. I haven't said anything. And he said, I tested it. And he, and he said, I went home, and they're, they're a pagan culture, right, tribe. And he said, I went home, and I, I said, okay, God, if you're real, then protect my goats. And I took the idol out of my goat pen. And I gave my goat pen to, to God and after, waited a week, and the goats were fine. And so the next week, I gave my chicken coop, and then I gave my fields. And then I gave my kids, all the kids wore a little idol on a, a little leather pouch that had been 
done by a witch doctor around their neck. He took it off all of his kids. He gave, I gave my kids to, to God. And then he said, I've got nothing left to give but myself. And that was his testimony. Isn't that beautiful? You know? And, that, and he stood up and shared that. And we went, all right, we're going to the river after service. Right? And we went down there, and he, and he goes down, and, and we explained the basics of baptism. You know, you're, this is representing you dying your old self and raising you new. And uh, so my dad's in the water, and uh, he's explaining, okay, so this is what, and the guy just dumped under the water himself. He doesn't know the way you're supposed to do it. And so, but it's a murky, dirty African river. He didn't know where the guy went. And so the guy's just waiting for God to lift him out of the water. And so dad's trying to find him and find him, lift him off, and beautiful but what a picture what a picture that's the life the old life is dead the new life has come incredible and and so i would say if you haven't been baptized i encourage you to do it is a step of obedience it's one of the one of the ordinances jesus gave not optional i'd say okay come talk to us as pastors if you i know there's different circumstances sometimes there's challenges but come talk to us we'd love to talk to you but then the joy you'll have in your moment. If everybody who's been baptized remember their baptism? Of course you do, right? That's the point. <laughs> you know, you can look back, and what an incredible milestone to look back and see this moment um, and be reminded of the salvation that God gave you. Yes. Um, buried him in baptism. And again, it is here... The Bible's just giving us this reminder of we don't need anything else. We don't need to be deceived by these philosophies. We have everything we need in Christ. Remember when you were baptized? Remember what that represented? Remember the commitment you made? When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. So don't let somebody tell you you're not good enough. You don't have to clean yourself up first, right? That's what that's saying. You were dead in your sins. You didn't have to fix that before. God made you alive and forgave all your sin. Don't, don't let all, the devil come and say that you, there's this, your sins of your past, right, are, are still going to hold you back somehow. It's a lie. It's a lie. All of it's been forgiven. He canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, trying, triumphing, triumphing, tri- triumphing over them by the cross. Um, just don't be deceived, church. Don't be deceived by that. The devil wants to try and, and condemn you and make you feel guilty and tell you you're not good enough and say you have to clean this up first and tell you that God won't accept you, Right? None of it's true, and the cross is the proof. He triumphed over it that the lies the devil is trying to do are exposed. He made a public spectacle of them. Mm. Somebody say amen. Amen. Um, this, this passage is speaking to Christians today. It's just that's what the, the passage is. Um, if you're not a Christian here... Um, We'd love for you to know the, the experience of having, uh, of, of life in Christ, of being able to live a life in him, finding fullness in him, having all the guilt and the shame and, 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 trying, and finding a life of purpose, you know, having the guilt and the shame taken away. So come talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. If you have questions, pray to God. Talk to him. Read his word. Say, Lord, if you're real, show me. 
Reveal yourself to me. So that's the first one. There's all those hollow, deceptive philosophies coming in from the outside. And now he's going to address the religiosity from the inside. Verse 16, Therefore don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to religious festivals, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. These are just a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. In Christ. Yeah, and so all these things, these are all specifically Jewish things. We don't really struggle with a lot of these. We don't have a lot of pressure of people telling us to go to some new moon celebration. But, but basically, these are just religious things, okay? And so the same way that we can get off track, get pulled off track by worldly deceptive philosophies, we can get pulled off track by religion as well. Call, let's use the word false religion so we're clear. These things that, uh, that are not... They, that are going to pass away. And, and so how do we, how do we um, spot then false religion? Verse 18, Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. This false humility, it has the appearance of doing it for God, but really the motives are selfish. And so it's really the, to identify false religion, these, these things that could pull us off track from religious type things, it's the same root. It will be man-focused, and it, it, it's, it, it might, but it has the, decep- the deception is a little different. Instead of like the worldly deception that kind of looks good and sounds good and everybody's going for, and these ones, they, it's shrouded in in pious talk, jargon. It's shrouded in religion. It sounds good, it looks good from the outside, but really it's, it's unspiritual and it just serves to puff us up. That's how we can spot kind of false religion. Because the same practices, like, like, is it good to read your Bible, pray, and go to church? Yes, those are good things. Can they become religious? Can you actually do those things in an unspiritual way that puffs you up? You can right? And that's the, that's the difference. And so how do we, how do we kind of navigate that? It's do what builds your relationship with God. Don't forget the relationship, right? The example I give is, is uh, I'm going to confess, I have never made Amanda breakfast in bed. Not for an anniversary, not for birthday, Mother's Day, nothing. I have never made Amanda um, breakfast in bed. So, now, judge me as a husband, okay? <laughs> if you, is that, should I, am I a little off track there? You, you're shaking your head, thank you, that's being kind. But, let's think about this, let's think about this. If the reason I haven't done that is because I don't care, and I'm, I don't feel like it, and I don't, then there is an issue, you know, I should be judged. I hope someone, there would be someone close enough to come alongside me and say, hey, you're not caring for your wife the way you should, right? But if the reason I haven't is because I know that she would much prefer if me and the kids made breakfast on the table, that no crumb came within 10 feet of that bed, and that afterwards I cleaned up spotless, that that would be my best way of showing her that I care and love her and know her, right? 
See, it's the relationships, the point. It's the relationships, the point. And this is hard for us, especially the longer we've been Christians. It is so easy. Things that started out with the right reason can become religious. We can start doing those things just because that's the way we've always done them. And one of the blessings of COVID, if there was, is that it did give us a hard stop. And that now we have a chance to look at all those things, the things that we were just doing because we always did them week after week after week, and they probably had a very good root. We have a chance now to look at it and go, is this really fulfilling the purpose? Is this growing? Am I growing more in love with Jesus now than, um, than I was before? Because that's the point. You see here, verse 19, those, the, the false religion, he has lost connection with the head, that's Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it, causes it to grow. That's the difference. Those, those false religious things are disconnected from Jesus and his body, right? True religious things, true religion is about the opposite. The point is connecting with him. Oh, I thought I had a highlight. And so, I just, this verse stood out to me as I was studying, as I was looking at that. We're looking at true religion, false religion. He's lost connection with the head whom the whole body, supported and held together in its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. You can't separate the head from the body. So it kind of stood out to me this week. Shared it in the prayer meeting this morning. And that I've just been marveling at how Jesus designed it. You know, this, this picture of the body of Christ with him as the head that Again, back to that deceptive philosophy of our culture that we're so autonomous, we're so individualistic. It's all about, I'm going to get my own facts and make my own decision, and no one's going to tell me what make me different, right? That's the culture we live in. And yet, this, the design is that, he says, if you're going to be one of the evidences of, of deceptive philosophy or false religion, is that you're slowly disconnecting from the body, because you can't separate the body from the head. And separating yourself from the body will have an effect on your relationship with the head. That's how God designed it. And it's hard work. And in our culture, particularly our society right now, it's really hard. You know, we're so divided, so polarized, and that's just being fed to us. And yet, church, that means we have an opportunity we have an opportunity to be different, to shine as a light in the darkness. That, that as we seek to see how God causes it to grow as the body works together, as the body is connected, that the growth happens out of the body being together and working together, and then God does that growth. You see that? As part of the body of Christ, can't separate it from our, our relationship with Jesus. Let's be a come together, unity, loving one another, encouraging one another, helping one another grow, discerning these things with one another. We need one another to be able to discern God's truth, right? 
We need people who maybe who love Jesus, have the same desire to love Jesus, but have a different perspective. You know, we need that. Jesus intended that. Not for us to separate from them and then villainize them. His point was that you, you interact with them because you love them as part of the same body. That's, that's required in order to keep us on the straight and narrow and not get, get off in our own little group going off in the wrong direction. It's God's good design. Amen. And, and then we'll finish it up here. He just kind of summarizes it in the last couple verses. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish because they are based on human commands and teachings. It's everything we've talked about this morning. Just summarizing it up. The, the worldly life is dead. You've got a new life in Christ. Don't go back to the worldly things. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom. They look smart. They sound good. They, with their self-imposed worship, it's, got, it's clothed in worship, you know? Their false humility, we talked about that one early, earlier. The things we do that, that look like we're being all pious and we're doing it for God, but really we know in our own hearts we're doing that thing because we want someone to notice or compliment us or... Right? False humility. It looks like humility, but it's false. They'll even harsh treatment of the body. Asceticism is the, the word behind that. Right? You know that picture. So the harsh so it's even like, oh look at how much I'm sacrificing. But what's the heart, right? And I put there at the bottom, true Christian religion will result in you growing to know and love Jesus more. There's the test. What is a, how do we know that life in Christ? Well, we started it with this morning. We asked, we all looked back on that moment when we received Christ as Lord, and we said, how do we know? Because we see a change, we have a changed heart. We can look back and we can see how God has changed our heart. We can look back and see how he's grown us, right? And so do what makes you love Jesus more. There's a good rule, <laughs> Do the things that make you love him more. That's the, that's the key, the secret to the Christian life. Let's be doers this week. Anything from today that God is speaking to you, maybe it's just you just needed that reassurance of your salvation, of what Christ did for you. The, you there was guilt you were carrying. Jesus has nailed it to the cross. <laughs> He's already paid. It's been taken away. Right? Maybe that's what you needed to hear today. Maybe you just needed to re- be reminded of that commitment you made in that moment. You know, When he saved you, that he's Lord, and you need to recommit that moment. Maybe it's just one area of your life he's asking to be, and you, you've, he's Lord in lots of areas of your life, but not that area. You're still trying to, you're holding back on that one. Maybe it's something with, there's, you can see a deceptive philosophy Something that's snuck in and, and, and is pulling you off track, right? Getting you off the road. Get back on the road, right? Maybe there's something religious. When, when you were getting ready to come this morning, there's something in your heart. If you think back, you're like, I wasn't doing that for God. I was doing that for me. 
right? I wanted someone to notice, someone to compliment, someone to say something. I wanted to put on a certain face, a certain look for people to see, but it's not their truth. Yeah. What is it that God's asking you to do this week? And then let's do it as a body together. Tell somebody. You don't have to tell everybody, right? <laughs> but tell somebody you can trust. And uh, let's do this together. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice, that you are our Savior, that you're our Messiah, Christ, that that old life is dead, that you took all our sin and you nailed it to the cross. It died with you, and we've been raised to life with you. Baptism, that picture of a new life that you've made us, transforming our minds, born again. Lord, our heart's desire is to live a life that pleases you. And we know that the devil's goal is to snatch us away from that. And he isolates us and he lies. Lord, open our eyes, expose his lies, God, by the truth of your word. Thank you, Lord, for Christian brothers and sisters. Help us to encourage one another, to spur one another on, to keep one another on the straight and narrow road. Unite us, God, we pray. And then might the love of your body overflow into the communities and the lives of the people you put in our lives. And we will give you all the praise for how great thou art. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor Mike.